When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I'm the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is In Liberty and Health, and I've been looking forward to uh, this conversation for a little bit because uh, there's somebody else out here in the liberty and health sphere that's, um, you know, kind of making the same waves that I am, and it's uh, really, really cool to see. So um, before we start kind of diving down the rabbit holes, Courtney, how are you doing? And, um, you know, I guess let's start there and we'll kind of move on. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Um yeah, I really appreciate you moving this earlier because you noticed I had a live stream. So I spent most of my day researching for that, actually. But Oh, yeah. Listen, I, I've the solo podcast for me personally, I've put out, mm-hmm. I want to say probably about five. I did one on green energy, um, mm-hmm. protein metabolism, weight loss tips and COVID mandates. And I feel like those I have to spend hours preparing for, like I'll have <laughs> like half a dozen browsers open and just click at their stuff, read through a paper. All right. <laughs> I got my notes right here. All, you're right. <laughs> I have all the stuff marked down. What page, what sentence that highlighted. Um, it, it, do you find the uh-huh. solo podcast kind of be a little bit more work than the interviews? Uh, the solo podcast for sure for sure yeah um well because they're like educational so I feel like I'm it's almost like I'm lecturing um and I want to be prepared like the solo ones that typically do a live stream so I want to be prepared for questions like people might have so I don't claim to be an expert on any of these I'm just researching like anybody else could um but a lot of people don't have the time or the inclination to do the research so I'm hoping to 
be able to provide information that people don't aren't able to get so right yeah and I, I totally think that people like you and myself kind of need to be a little bit more of the um accessibility for people like that who don't quite have the time so um yeah I guess let's start off um we'll start on a little bit of health stuff maybe we can get into the political stuff yeah. a little bit later um what um kind of led you to being a little a little bit more focused on your health and what made you decide to speak out about that? Um, so I have kind of a unique uh, like personal story. Um, my mom had a germ measles during the first trimester of pregnancy. Can you so elaborate on I, what that is? I'm sorry. Hmm? I said, could you elaborate on what that is? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So my mom had germ measles during the first trimester of pregnancy. So uh, it's similar to the measles. Um, essentially, she had very, very little symptoms, actually. She had a rash on her upper chest. Um, but my father had just had it. Uh, and he, he was currently sick, very sick, like a fever of 104, delirious. Um, and he had actually contracted it from my mom's doctor's wife, <laughs> who had been traveling and came back with uh, German measles, and it was not very popular in this country at the time. Um, but my mom was really concerned because she was pregnant, and she knew she was pregnant, and she thought that you know it was possible that she had contracted it. So she went to the doctor to have them read the titer. So that's where they uh, measure how much you know whether it would affect the baby. Essentially, I mean that's the Clipnose version of it. Um, and the doctor read the titer as being one twelve. However, the doctor was dyslexic. The titer was really 121, meaning that I had been affected. And had he read the titer correctly, my mom would have had an abortion. But fortunately, the doctor's dyslexia saved my life. But I was rendered with several, yeah. <laughs> but I was rendered with several complications from birth. So I had a cataract when I was first born. Um, we removed the cataract when I was about three months old. I am blind when I, I wear bilateral hearing aids, but we didn't know that I was hearing impaired until um, I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six. I learned how to speak by reading lips. I was wow. born with hypertonic limbs. So like the, you know, people are typically don't know what that is, but they're very familiar with like hypertrophy, you know, when you build muscle. So it's just the opposite. My limbs, right, exactly. <laughs> um, my limbs wouldn't develop. So um, I had fine and graphic motor impairment, uh, stunted growth, uh, asymmetrical bone development. So there are lots and lots of challenges that I was faced with. So from a pretty, you know, I, I guess really from birth, my mom was very, uh, you know, focused on like nutritional healing and uh, you know, trying to ensure that whatever we could do to make me as healthy as possible, we did. And we, they also enrolled me pretty early in um, gymnastics. And that had stemmed from my mom had this idea and my grandfather actually built it. She had this idea of putting um, like a balance beam that I, I wore a patch over my sighted eye every other day of my childhood. So I was essentially blind and deaf every other day and because I didn't have hearing aids yet. And so they built this beam and I would have to walk on it every day, regardless of whether or not I had uh, the patch on. And if I completed it successfully at the end of the week, my reward was that they would make this beam narrower. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I found uh, a day camp there, there was a gymnasium, gymnastics, 
I immediately ran over to the balance beam because it was very familiar, you know, exciting. But so I had felt like in a lot of ways, I mean, there was obviously a lot of things that attributed to my healing. Um, I also had a baby nurse who put me in a wet sandbox and she realized I had a very determined personality. <laughs> and uh, so she was like, maybe if we just put the toy slightly out of reach, um, she'll have to reach and push through the sand, um, which would create resistance and stimulate, you know, neuromuscular stimuli. Um, so, and it was effective, fortunately. Um, so I, from very young age, I think I just feel like there were, while there are a lot of things that were very instrumental in my uh, healing, I think that movement was a huge part of it because I don't have vestibular sense. I don't have motion parallax due to my lack of uh, bilateral vision. Um, but we're working through some of these movement practices really helped to develop like my kinesphere, my proprioception, and I think just, you know, functionally develop in ways that I might not have otherwise. So, so as I, you know, so I was an athlete most of my life. And, uh, when you engage in sports, you know, typically you're interested in health and optimization and yeah, so it's always kind of, it's just been a passion of mine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that's. That's an incredible story, really. Um, it's very, very inspiring. Um, so two, two kind of questions that I took down there. I don't know if you saw me writing things down, but um, <laughs> it's it's very interesting that you mentioned that you would, that your mother would have had an abortion. And this is a topic that can get very, very contentious, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not going to start a firefight over this. Um, personally, I am pro-life and, and this, is, this, this is controversial for a lot of people. And I understand it's very mm -hmm. emotional because people feel like it's their inherent right to abort a child or in a lot of people's opinion would be killing a baby. Um, where do you fall on that spectrum? And do you think that where, you know, your story kind of um, gives you a bias? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so I will share a story and, uh, sure. you know, I, I love my mother very much and uh, I usually agree with her on most things. And this was actually something we do not agree on. Mm -hmm. um, and I had actually gotten into an argument with her not too long ago over it. I, I am very much pro-life. Uh, I feel, you know, you have a one in 400 trillion chance of being born. I, I'll say that again, one in 400 trillion chance of being born. That is how much of a miracle you are. And I defeated all odds to be here. And I am very, very grateful for life. Um, you know, despite all the challenges I've had, you know, certainly I don't think anybody, you know, escapes challenges in life. That's kind of, you know, I've right. had a lot of blessings as well. So um, I, I truly think it's a miracle. And we had actually had a discussion about because, you know, it, it it's become kind of a big topic because, you know, Texas, Mississippi, a lot of them are, you know, putting up the case. So um, she said she thought it was strategically a really bad move for uh, the Republicans. And uh, I vehemently disagreed. I said it's a foundational, uh, you know, premise. And so my feeling on it that so with her, I'll tell you her argument, and then I'll tell you why I felt so strongly against it. Um, so firstly, her argument was that people who know they're going to be uh, they're going to have a child born with disabilities should have the right to abort. And I, of course, was very personally offended by that. Mm -hmm. um, and I told her, you know, like, of course, my feelings are hurt, but you would think that. Um, but, you know, that aside, I felt that it's twofold. You know, firstly, from a kind of, you know, moral, more spiritual perspective, who 
decides whose life is worthy. Who, you know, what makes you think you have the right to decide that because I don't have two eyes in two years and I had heart surgery when I was a year old and, you know, all these other complications, you know, that my life is of less value than somebody else who didn't have those issues. Um, you know, I don't think that that's for one human to decide over another. So that's, that's kind of from a more moral, spiritual kind of perspective. Um, and certainly people who come from a religious perspective would say, you know, only God has, you know, should choose that. Um, but I don't even think you have to be religious to come to that conclusion. I think it's really, uh, you know, that's something I, 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 that was what I asked. But in, from a legal perspective, it's not constitutional. So there's two, two problems with it. The first problem is, and then we'll go to really the, the main crux of it all, which makes everything else kind of like, you know, a moot point. Mm -hmm. um, but legally, you don't make laws for the outliers. So you don't decide yes. like it could be an exemption for the disabled or there's an exemption for, uh, you can make an amendment to a law, but you don't make a law around the outlier. And that's a huge problem I have because that's something they do. They've been really trying to do for decades now. Um, and I think it's eroding the constitution, which brings me to the biggest point, which makes everything a moot point is that it's not a federal issue. It should be a state's issue. Roe v. Wade was not constitutional. You cannot make this a federal issue. It's just state's right. That's, that's a violation of the 10th amendment in my view. So um, yeah, so those are my feelings on it, but I'm very, I am very much pro-life, and I do think that my circumstance absolutely clouds that, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, well, at least you acknowledge that, and I'm not <laughs> trying to criticize you for that. I think it's perfectly reasonable, and, you know, as I said before, I'm very pro-life as well. Um, where it kind of came to me, and where I realized I was pro-life, and I've always been pro-life, but the way that I've kind of teased it out in my head over the recent years is that this is ultimately up to responsibility, right? So um, I lived a more degenerate life at one point, and I don't want to get too much into that right now. And, and obviously, there was never a situation like this that ever came up. But um, women should be very, very, um, very careful with who they sleep with and very, very careful who they give the gift of love to, right? So if you're not careful with that and you're irresponsible and it ends up in a pregnancy, why is it now that you get to kill a life because mm -hmm. you decided that's a burden on you when you made that choice and you yeah. can say, okay, drunk sex, rape. Okay. With rape, sex, um, with rape, I understand because it's like, okay, well, you didn't ask for this. It's not a consensual act. I don't like saying that, but mm -hmm. that's kind of where I fall personally. And, and if people disagree, I completely understand. Like I said, it's not something that I'm like, yeah, but it's sure. Play devil's advocate, though, I mean, there are many cases where that child is the biggest blessing that comes out of right. you know, such a, a tragic occurrence. So, yeah, you know. and, and I, I see it both ways, but mm -hmm. I would feel like as soon as possible, like you can't decide third trimester, hey, I don't want this anymore, because then at that point, it's a life. Right? It, it needs to be immediately because there, there's there's an urgency there, right? I do not want this pregnancy because this was not something I desired. But if you sleep with somebody, right, this is a consensual act. This is, you know, you laying down, doing the most holiest thing, right? <laughs> the thing that we're supposed to wait till marriage for. That better damn well be somebody that you plan to spend the rest of your life with and you're okay with raising a child with. That's mm -hmm. very, very, very important. And once again, just because you think a child's going to be a burden on you or that you're not ready for a child, then maybe you shouldn't be sleeping around with people if you're not ready to take that burden of a child on, you know, onto your being. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the advent of the birth control pill and of promiscuity uh, was, uh, you know, the inception of it did come from eugenicists. So uh, you know, there, there's a strong connection there. They, they, they wanted to, one, depopulate, and two, they also wanted to debase the culture. You know, there's a loss of morality when you don't have to take responsibility for your actions. Um, you know, again, this is not for me to judge somebody else's actions. You know, we all, that, that you have to live with your own conscience. That's not for me to decide, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I, I do think there is something wrong with a culture where people aren't taking responsibility for their actions and where that's being, uh, you know, where that's being lauded. And to some extent it is, you know, it's, it's being encouraged and it's being uh, supported. So, yeah. And I do think that that was a huge part of it. You know, this, uh, both, both abortion and uh, the birth control pill were created by eugenicists. So, you know, I think that's worth noting and it's worth, you know, taking into consideration. Yeah. And it's definitely not for the advancement of society or the betterment of society at all. Um, it's very interesting to hear the same people who are very pro-birth control and pro-women's rights, and not, I'm not saying that women shouldn't have rights, but um, they'll be the first ones to talk about overpopulation, right? And <laughs> I always say, you know, you can solve your own purported problem. If you think overpopulation is such a problem, you can leave at any time and nobody will miss you. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay with that, right? And look, I'll be married in November. We're recording this in March right now. Um, it'll actually be released in April, funny enough. But um, <laughs> um, my fiance and I are getting married in you know November. We plan on having kids, and I want to raise them very well. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know what? I hear people say all the time, like, "Oh, I don't want to have kids because the world's so bad." Okay, well, how do we make it better? Right. We have to procreating with good people. Okay, well, <laughs> we need what? an army of, uh, of good people. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So that's kind of the part of this podcast is that I want to spread this message to libertarians and, um, you know, also fitness people as well to kind of get them into a more free mindset. Um, I want to do a screen share here real quick. And because we were talking about this, I was trying to find this before we hopped on air, but I think you're going to think this is really funny. And I have a little bit of a commentary I was putting on Twitter earlier today. So, um, I don't know if you've seen the emerging thing on the news that um, fitness is now a right-wing phenomena. Fitness fascist. Yes, I have, of course. <laughs> okay, so yeah, fitness fascist hijack workout culture to spread far-right politics and recruit a physical army. So of course, everybody that's wearing a red MAGA hat is a um, you know is a far-right fascist. Um, I, we're not going to read through this article, but there's I, I've been seeing this come up quite a bit, and I think it's so funny. But the one, the, the optimistic note I take from this is that if they keep saying that fitness is a far right thing and regular people like don't pay attention, they just keep working out, that eventually all these uh, leftists and woke crazy liberals, <laughs> they're going to quit being, you know, even remotely fuckable and then they're not going to have kids. <laughs> so the problem solves itself even faster. They don't have to breathe. On that direction. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're definitely not far off. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, or like in 2020, they were saying that healthism is uh, racist. And uh, yeah, they, they were talking about like healthism is it's racist. And it's, uh, you know, yeah, there were all these articles on it. So I guess this is an extension of that. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is that they, they, they don't, they always promote extremes. 
you know, like they, they promote the obesity. Now they're having, you know, like they glamorize it. Um, just like they glamorize, you know, the other end of the spectrum and they do it because they don't want people to be healthy. That's, that's really, you know, the crux of it. That that's what it boils down to. Um, but yeah, it, it is laughable. I mean, it's both like tragic and laughable at the same simultaneously, but yeah. You, know. you see this with, uh, someone like Lizzo, who's very, very bold. And I'm not saying that she shouldn't love herself, but I, you should love yourself enough but to if start she loved herself, she'd want to be healthy. I mean, exactly. I, I have a real problem with that. Like, you know, I understand there are people who have health conditions and that make things more challenging, but she's like, not just embracing it, she's glamorizing it and saying right. that this is the ideal. And it's not because it's fundamentally not healthy. We know that it's antithetical to most of what health is. You know, it, it creates inflammatory markers. It's linked to diabetes. I mean, there's the list goes on and on. And we have enough research that shows this. So, you know, I, I have a huge problem with, I mean, a lot of the self-help movement is rooted in Marxism and, uh, you know, it, it's this like very selfish, it's not really self-love, uh, you know, true self-love is loving yourself enough to, you know, sometimes you need to be compassionate with yourself, but is also you need to know when there, to exercise discipline, when to kind of kick your own butt, when to say, you know, this isn't healthy for me, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, and I need to do some things that may be a little bit more difficult because I love myself enough to do those things and to prove to myself that I'm worth putting in the effort to do something that's really hard. You know, and I think that's one of the things that fitness really does teach people. I talk about this a lot. You know, I do uh, speeches with aerial performances and I would share my story and I talk about movement being a metaphor for life and using physical training as a teacher to overcome adversity. And, you know, one of the analogies that I use for people, because everybody gets this, that no matter how talented you are, nobody goes to the Olympics by sitting on the couch. You can have all the talent in the world, right? They have to put the work in. And that's something that, you know, fitness really does teach you, it teaches you about work ethic and discipline um, and how you, how you move through struggles and the, you know, the value of the struggle and finding joy in the process. So, you know, sorry, that was a long. <laughs> no, 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 you're perfectly fine. I, I, I completely agree. Um, it's your metaphor of the person sitting on the couch. It's funny because people look at uh, someone like, let's say Ronnie Coleman, right? One of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. Well, they think, oh, well, he did all these drugs and, you know, he's just insane. Okay. Yes. He absolutely has freakishly good genetics. Yes. He used PEDs, but if you actually like understand performance enhancing drugs, and I've come to understand this over about the last year, he really wasn't on that high of a volume of drugs. This dude would still look like an animal, no matter what he did. But while, what you also don't understand is that this guy worked, he worked his ass off. He was in the gym all the time, lifting heavier than everybody else. He was, you know, just busting his ass all the time. You don't make eight times Mr. Olympia sitting on the couch. And no. like you said, this is what fitness teaches you. It teaches you discipline. So um, yeah. I guess kind of tailing on that for, uh, is there anything else you want to add there? No, no. Yeah. That was okay, cool. Um, nutrition wise, uh, this is another very, very um hot topic right because you see people doing the carnivore diet right i did the carnivore diet for two years but now i'm off of that um yes um now i'm a little bit more of a flexible dieting guy and you have vegans you have um keto people you have people all along a spectrum um my bias i want to say is a little bit more low carb but i'm not dogmatic on nutrition anymore and i'm the same way 
to uh, political philosophy and spreading liberty is that I'm 0% partisan on liberty and 0% partisan on whatever gets people to better health. So um, what does your nutrition kind of look like? And what, um, I guess, kind of dietary approach would you most um, ascribe yourself to? So I, I, I like you, I'm not dogmatic about nutrition at all because I've tried pretty much everything. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I find that it's not very uh, feasible and I don't find it's all that healthy either. I mean, if you think about, you know, like even Paleolithic man, we, we didn't have the luxury to be rigid. You know, it was like people think Paleolithic man just like feasted on steak every day, but that's not a reality. You feasted on, you know, steak when you killed the cattle, like, you know, and then you might have to scrap berries and, you know, it, of course there was seasonal and it depended on where you lived. And so we're really designed to have some sort of variety and we are also designed to be kind of, you know, flexible in that regard. Um, so I, I also just think our modern world just, it's too stressful to add that on top. So, you know, a lot of nutrition, what people don't realize is like your digestion starts in the brain, um, you know, before you even, you know, prepare anything. So uh, that we're so disconnected uh, in our modern lifestyle from that. So all this to say, the, what I do uh, concern myself with is that our, we are being poisoned constantly. And the, you know, the, what, what I call big food industry is so tied to such a toxic agenda. Um, and they've manipulated labels and they've, you know, they, they've really misled people, you know, remember the food pyramid, which is yeah. so opposite from what <laughs> is actually healthy for anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but the list goes on and on. Like we could talk about seed oils and we could talk about, you know, like canola oil, which was really supposed to be used as a machine know, lubricant. machinery. Yeah, yeah. in World War II. <laughs> and that's what we're eating. And it stays in your body for two years. So, you know, I, I'm not super fanatical about my diet per se, but I really try to be really conscious of, you know, things that are more whole foods and looking at, you know, labels in that regard, like not eating, eating more food, less chemicals. Um, and I am pretty conscious of like seed oils. I try to really stay away from that. It's so hard though. I mean, it's in everything, yeah. it's really in everything. Um, you know, now they, and they always change labels like GMO is now called biofortified. That was a new one they just did pretty recently. Yeah, they're constantly changing what labels mean. So it's, it's a really, it's really hard to kind of keep up. And that's why it's like, stay as close to kind of like whole food as possible. So I wouldn't call myself like paleo and I'm not a low carb person. I actually don't do well with low carb diets. Okay. Um, I, I, I've tried a whole variety of them <laughs> and I think I train pretty hard, but I, it might just also be my genetics. I don't do very well with it. Yeah. I had a doctor uh, recently who said my A1C is like outside the standard deviation low. And he was like, don't do low carb. I was like, yeah, no, it doesn't do well for me. <laughs> like, I don't do well on it. So I'm no worries there, mm -hmm. but yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And like I said, I, I, I used to approach this a lot more dogmatic than I do now. Um, my nutrition yeah. split is now about 200 grams of protein. So about a, you know, a gram per pound of body weight, and then um, sure. about 60% fat and then 40% carbohydrates. Um, yeah. It was funny when I was on carnivore, I never realized how smart your body is because I would be good for like a week or two, right? I would eat nothing but meat 
and salt and I'd be spot on, right? Electrolytes, I'd have some coffee or something like that, but I dialed in. But then guess what? After that week or two, if there was some ice cream or something, for I was uncontrolled. I would binge and it would turn to a binge freaking day. But what yeah. I never, what I never realized until once I was out of doing carnivore is that that's your body saying eat. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not eating enough throughout the fucking week. You're losing too much weight. I'm starving. <laughs> eat. You have to eat something. Yeah. So now, um, your body's wired to survive. Yeah, you know? right, right, right. Um, I've had uh, Rob Wolf on twice, and he wrote the book Wired to Eat, and he's just he's absolutely incredible. Uh, he's such a good dude. But um, yeah, your your brain when it sees these hyper palatable foods, it knows it wants to eat them. So that's kind of the important thing about eating whole foods. Cause think about these hyper palatable foods, they're high in carbohydrates and fat, but low in protein. Right. And you think if you go down the line, you could see what all the foods you just cannot stop eating are potato chips, right? Because they're, you know, carbohydrates baked in oil. So that's high carb, high fat, right? A milkshake, tons of sugar, tons of milk fat, easy to overconsume. You think about a cake, that's right? True. Yeah, yeah. There, there's so many things, but if you look at it, if the stuff that you just cannot stop eating is high and carbohydrates and fats. Yeah, the combination of the two, which makes mm -hmm. it highly palatable, um, which is really interesting because it's very rare to find that combination in nature. Right, right. That was the point I was kind of getting at. Is that yeah, you, you won't find that very in nature. Rare. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, there's a couple of exceptions, but even those exceptions, I mean, there's some fruits that have fats in them, but even those aren't sweet fruits, right? Like, yeah, aside, those, it's only sweet when you add all the sugar to it. Right, and, and those plants, um, generally the fat content in the plants aren't going to be that high, right? Unless you're going out of way for like avocado yeah. or something like that. Most of the time, it's just going to be straight carbs by itself. And one thing that I didn't really realize, because I was listening to people like Gary Tobbs, Jason Fung, and um, Dave Asprey, and those weren't like the main guys, but like a lot of the carnivore people too. Um, I like all these people and they put out some good information, but sometimes when you're teaching uneducated people about nutrition, I was saying this on another show the other night, it's like handing kids dynamite, right? Because they don't know exactly what they're doing, but this sounds sexy. So it's very, very easy for them to take this and run with it. But what you don't realize is that like fruits, an orange has like a hundred calories and it's incredibly satiating. It has lots of vitamins in it. And, you know, you can eat that and you'll be satiated. So you like, you know, you have a lean steak and an orange and you're satiated for like a whole morning. And yeah. people who look at, you know, oh, well, this fructose is going to give me cancer or, you know, it's giving me liver cancer. Um, you're missing out on a lot because of this misguided Paleolithic man didn't have cancer. So right. it, it's not the fruit that's giving them cancer. Right. Um, the one thing I didn't mention though, that I, I will say is I am pretty conscious of uh, protein intake mm -hmm. um, because the only building block for the body, like you're, right. you can't build. And, and that includes, you know, people think that the brain runs on fats. Some people think it runs on carbohydrates, um, but even like, you know, building any kind of like neuro uh like rewiring mm -hmm. you need protein yeah so it, it's really it's a protein is really important and it's like you can't really get away with uh you know skimping on it so you're right right and, and i'm not, glad not you said that train, so, yeah right right and um so real quick i'll give you three tips that i try to give everybody when it comes to improving their health. And I kind of want to hear your three tips and your take on my three yeah. tips. Um, yeah. I generally tell people walking after meals, right? That's huge mm -hmm. for uh, blood sugar control and digestion. 
Um, I, I find that's just a great way to get a little bit more activity in, increase protein intake. It doesn't have to be a gram per pound of body weight. Just try to get a little bit more and then try to avoid foods, high in carbohydrates and fats together. Those three things alone, without even resistance training, you're going to start dropping weight. You're going to feel a whole ton better, but resistance training obviously should be included. I think that's like a mandatory thing, yeah. but you know, if you just do those three things, you're well on your way to health. So um, what would you say to that? And what would be three tips that you would give somebody? I think those are really great suggestions. Mine, I like, it depends on who I'm talking to, sure. you know, like, I, I mean, I, I train people and I do nutritional coaching and you meet people where they're at. Right. Uh, but at the very base level, um, I, I would tell one of the first things I tell people to look at is their sleep. Um, because, you know, we, we see how much of, uh, your, you know, your hormone imbalance is related to that. And people like to blame hormones for, you know, not having uh, success with, uh, you know, their health and fitness and, you know, their, their weight management and <coughs> Gary Tobbs, what Gary Tobbs, Gary Tobbs. Okay. Uh, yeah. hor hormones are to blame for everything. <laughs> so, it, but yes and no, because right. it's, it's a feedback loop. And so mm -hmm. people like to blame it, but they don't realize that it, it's being impacted by, because one hormone is out of balance and it throws everything out. Right. Um, so, but what they don't realize is they can really balance, you know, a lot, not always, but a lot can be impacted by lifestyle, uh, you know, choices. And sleep is a huge a uh, huge part of that, you know, regulating your, uh, you know, certainly your, even like your insulin, uh, you know, is regulated, your cortisol and insulin are inversely uh, correlated. And so like, if your cortisol awakening response is being thrown off because you're, you know, going to bed super late, <laughs> um, you know, that's going to have an impact on everything else. And then your thyroid goes off and everything else goes off. So, um, so I would really say, look at your sleep. I think, you know, uh, for most people, they need at least seven hours sleep. Uh, Sarah, there's a small percentage of people, uh, I think it's like less than 2% who have the, uh, and I'm going to forget which gene it is, um, but there is a gene where, you know, people actually uh, thrive on like six hours. It's, but it's not as low as, you know, there are people who say it's like four hours. It's not, it's like a six hour, um, which is still a considerable amount of sleep. Um, so I would say that's one of the first things I would tell people to do. You're not going to train as well. You're not going to make good nutrition choices if you're not sleeping um, and sleeping well. And the second thing, and this is kind of seems counterintuitive to a lot of people, uh, we've been told the sun is bad and, um, but is really, I would say one of the first things in the morning is to go, you know, into the sun and you don't have to look directly at the sun, but don't wear sunglasses. Uh, you know, you should get at least 15 minutes a day of uh, sunlight on your pupils. It helps regulate your cortisol. Um, it helps uh, re regulate your serotonin levels. It helps relate your uh, re relegate, uh, regulate, sorry, regulate your melatonin production, which will help you sleep better at night. Um, so it's, it's actually really, really important. Um, and that's going to affect, uh, it also helps you to, uh, you know, obviously vitamin D synthesis, but it actually helps you to, uh, for fat metabolism. So get, go out. Yeah. Go out, get some, get direct sunlight. Um, and again, you don't have to go and look directly at the sun, but get outside. Don't wear uh, protective eyewear, you know, obviously if it's super, super bright, but it shouldn't be super early in the morning, unless you're like somewhere tropical, I guess. But, right. um, and it's not for the whole day. It's like 15 minutes most. And then the other thing I would say is for people to accumulate. And, and this is like just basic. Obviously I agree with you. Resistant training, I think is just, you know, 
absolutely essential. But for people really just starting out, the foundational thing is acquire at least 15 minutes of walking a day. There are a lot of people who don't, a lot of people don't even get 15 minutes of walking a day. So yeah. I would say start with that and yeah, go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great tips. And uh, I think sleep is incredibly underrated and I'm very, very guilty of not focusing on that as much as I perhaps should. Um, because right. uh, you know, I, I watched Jocko Willink years ago, getting up at four 30 every day. And I am up at that time, but I normally go to bed around like eight to nine o'clock at night. And, uh, I can definitely tell when I've had a poor night's sleep. Um, last night I was on a, a friend's show and we we're up to like 11 o'clock. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. Um, so th this kind of goes out to like telling people, watch how much caffeine you consume too, and take breaks from caffeine as well. So caffeine is great. And there really aren't a lot of downsides to having caffeine, but also recognize that it is a stimulant and you're going to have mm -hmm. higher highs and lower lows. So when you go off of caffeine, you may notice like, holy hell, I'm just chugging caffeine so I can get through my freaking day, but that's not healthy. That means yeah. you're, pull you're, you're pulling from somewhere else. And then they wonder why they have adrenal fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah. that seems to be thrown around. It's just like hormones. You know, people throw out hormones when they're not in check with something, right? When, you know, and what typically people hear when we say things like this, or when we talk about Lizzo being overweight, people think we're saying, oh, they're such terrible people. It's like, no, we no. just recognize that there are independent risk factors and these are significant and we want these people to love themselves enough to take care of these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we want people to be healthy so that we can have a happier, healthier society. Um, that isn't, you know, where we're not constantly draining the, you know, pharmaceutical system, um, which is, you know, a huge, huge problem right now. Absolutely. And if people took more personal responsibility for their health, there's a lot people can do to take care of their health. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I say like, this is by design that I think that's what it's designed for. They don't want us to be healthy because right. they don't profit off people being healthy. They don't profit off you taking personal responsibility. They want you to be dependent on the system that they've created. So. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to that. And my vision for the world as a, um, I consider myself an anarchist, but I really don't even talk about it that much just because it's so, it's not feasible, right? That's not happening right, in our right. lifetime. So I, 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 I understand the sentiment though. Exactly, <laughs> right. So I, I typically tell people I'm a socially conservative libertarian. Um, the, the vision for the world that I see is tight knit families, a mother and a father with children who are strong, happy, and healthy, because that way you don't need an overbearing government on people's lives. When you have communities like that, right? You go to your church, you go to your neighbor and I'm not even really religious, but you go to your church, you go to your neighbor, you go to your community when you need something. And that's the way things should be. That's the way this country used to be. But now we're all fat, lazy, independent on the government because the government came along and said that we'll take care of you. We removed fathers from the home because once again the government's going to take care of you now we have social conventions to tell everybody hey this is okay you can do this and the government's going to take care of you no matter what well once again if we put fathers back in the home if we focus on our health and we realize that you know having families is much more important than working your life away then we would be we wouldn't need all this government that we have now for sure totally and that's why uh, the powers that be, you know, I mean, that that's why they felt they had to destroy all the pillars of society and the family was first and foremost. 
but you know, it's it's all of these institutions, the family, uh, religion, um, because religion is kind of, the religious institutions are a community that's the extension of the family. Uh, you know, obviously there's the uh, entertainment and media, um, then of course, education system. That's uh, the, the way that they can infiltrate all of them. <laughs> right, right. And it's, it is very evil to its core. And I don't think people realize that. I think more and more people are waking up to that. So kind of tailing on to that, I think we could start kind of diving into the political stuff because I still got you for a few minutes. And it, this is uh, something that I was curious about because I've heard you've had a lot of libertarian leaning guests on. Where would you say you fall on the political spectrum? And let's, let's start there and we can kind of tease out how you may have changed your mind over the last two years, because honestly, I don't think if you've changed your, if you haven't changed your mind over the last two years, you may still be asleep at the wheel. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, my political journey, I think has been kind of interesting in that it's not necessarily quite the same as where everybody, you know, I, I've been politically minded pretty much my whole life. I, you know, I, I created a board for school choice when I was in sixth grade. Uh, <laughs> and like six years later, they actually implemented it. I, I don't know that I wow. had any, but I like to think that I did. Wow. Maybe I got the ball rolling, you know, yeah. uh, I'd like to take credit, but I really don't know. Uh, but, you know, I've always been kind of, you know, I was on the debate team in high school and I, I've always kind of had an interest in what's going on in the world and uh, I, just politics in general. But I've always been, uh, I think, much more what I would call kind of like mainstream, uh, you know, conservative um, definitely more, I guess, uh, probably even leaning towards, I don't know that I've ever been like establishment, but it's definitely much more mainstream. Um, what has happened over, you know, and then I had a bout where I really tried really hard to go left because I, I thought that I would just have more friends and have an easier time dating and all that stuff. So, um, <laughs> I grew up in just very like leftist areas, you know, and I was in, I was an actress, I was in the entertainment industry, you know, it just was, I was in New York city and then I went out to uh, Santa Monica, California. Yeah, so real, real quick, how, how did that work out? How did that? So it did not work out very well because I, <laughs> I tried so uh -huh. hard to become, you know, at least liberal. Mm -hmm. And the more questions I asked that actually the further I, right I went, I became more conservative. As okay. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. yeah um, so anyways, uh, you had worked in the entertainment industry and you tried to become left to kind of have a little bit more of a social life. And then you kind of found that the more you pulled on the string, you're like, wow, the, the deeper I get down this rabbit hole, the worse and worse it looks. So where did it go from there? So from there, I, uh, you know, then in the entertainment industry, I really kind of just got silent. Like I kind of just stopped talking politics, stopped, stopped kind of just put that part of me kind of aside. And when I moved out to LA, I, found myself just like kind of trying to get involved with groups and uh, communities just to meet people, just to make friends outside of the entertainment industry because, you know, there's some really wonderful people in the entertainment industry, but there's also a lot of people who, you know, I just don't connect with. Um, so I was really struggling and I, I just didn't know anyone. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna start joining groups and they would either be like fitness oriented or kind of intellectual, you know, pursuits. I think I joined like an Atlas Shrugged reading group and like, uh, and I joined some political groups and then I joined, uh, you know, kind of 
we'll call it an underground uh, conservative Hollywood organization that as Jeremy Boring, when he was on my podcast said, it's uh, so secret that it was on the front cover of the New York Times. Um, <laughs> but uh, It's not so secret and it really doesn't exist too much anymore. Um, but I met a lot of people there. I started dating someone who was a political pundit. It, and then from there, I began writing for Politichicks and it was kind of no longer feasible to me for me to be kind of silent about my views anymore. Um, so I so I started kind of learning a lot that I didn't necessarily know. Like I, around that time period, I learned a lot about like the Frankfurt School and cultural Marxism. And I went down that rabbit hole and I'm a rabbit hole girl. Like I like to go down deep dives. So you know, really kind of went down. So I started to kind of start waking up, I guess, if you will. So it's not the, a lot of people in my generation woke up with 9-11. I, I wish I can say I was one of those people, but I'm not. Um, I, I was still kind of entrenched in more of a mainstream kind of uh, school. But, I, you know, about 10 years later, I really did start to wake up. And in the past two years, when you ask me what are my political leanings, this is the interesting thing. I have a lot less and less uh, interest in kind of, uh, you know, kind of Republican Democrat politics these days. Um, I Because I see the geopolitical uh, scope and I see how much of this is really a, it's a global issue and that this is a, uh, you know, we, we are fighting a cabal and that's, uh, so the more I see that, however, the one thing that I will say is that I still believe in kind of very, I think, I, I, I've used this analogy, it's like my one pin tweet uh, that I see when they say like, you know, when all the bees go, the humans will cease to exist. And uh, he, I see America is kind of like the beekeeper and, uh, you know, because when America falls, so the world follows. And I think it's incumbent upon Americans to preserve the free will of humanity. So what I mean by that is that I do think, this is my personal belief, I think it was the United States of America was divine intervention to preserve the free will of humanity. And I think that our constitution um, really does give us if there's any hope to fight against the globally coordinated tyranny and the, you know, it's really the AI uh, transhumanistic feudalistic system inside a high board mind that they're trying to create. Um, if there is any hope to stop that, I think it's, you know, it's within this country uh, because of the constitution and because of the freedoms that we have. And because we have that system that, and we need to stand by that and that that is the hope. So um, so that it leads me towards to answer your question. I would say in terms of ideology, I am, you know, kind of a, a conservative. Um, you know, there, there's conservatarian leaning in certain regards. Um, but, you know, I'd say a lot of my founding principles, you know, ideological principles are conservative. But I, yeah, but I'm not as much interested in, you know, kind of the... Uh, at least not federal politics at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was something for me over the last couple of years too, is that it's kind of like federal politics is a crapshoot. Um, I, I don't well, want to- It's orchestrated, it's controlled. I mean, we, we saw that with the 2020 election, but, you know, I think like I always point to Carol Quigley's tragedy of hope. You said the CFR has chosen our elections, our, you know, our president for the past hundred years. Right now I'm doing all this research on Tavistock and, you know, it's confirming that um, they have been picking the presidents. And so, you know, this, uh, 
I, this last one was so extreme because he was such a populist president. Um, so therefore it, it was much, much more obvious and apparent. However, I, I think all politics are local. So if I have an interest in politics, it would be conservative politics locally. That would be really where I think we have the power to effectuate change and it's where we really should uh, rise up and you know get involved. Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree. That's why um, I'm, I'm very, very proud of what the Libertarian Party here in Pennsylvania is doing. Um, most other places I would probably say your Republican Party might be the better way to go. Um, I was... I consider myself more Republican-ish, although I still call myself a libertarian, um, 2015 to probably about 2018. And then when I saw that Trump really was no different than the rest, other than rhetoric, when it came to his governing, I mean, it was the exact same. I mean, he killed more people via drone strikes in his first two years than Obama did in eight years. He vetoed ending the war in Yemen. And the spending was out of control. He banned bump stocks. He said, take the guns first, due process second. The wool got pulled off of my eyes and I realized like, this is a clown show. This is a freaking shit show. And people are still gobbling this up. They, they don't, I like, how do you not feel betrayed by this guy who ran as a populist right president and he said all the right things. And as soon as he gets in, he turns around and then 2020 came around and that just put the nail in the coffin because all the states got locked down. And what do you do? He criticized Georgia for opening up early. And then he, you know, he whines, bitches, pisses and moans about the election being stolen. And then what's he do? He does absolutely nothing. And now he's going on a vaccine, you know, a vaccine selling tour. And it's like, yeah. how do you people not feel betrayed by the dude who's supposed to be the last beacon of freedom? So I will say this. I, I actually really do think Trump tried. I really think that he had intentions of quote unquote draining the swamp. Um, people don't understand how deep, <laughs> when they say deep state, I mean, it's deep and it is very powerful. And people always go to money. Now, I don't have a whole lot of respect for people who are venal. Um, you know, certainly that's money is a driving force. It's a motivator, but this goes way beyond money. Now, if somebody right. were to threaten your loved ones, your children, your grandkids, your family, your, your spouse, you know, it's one thing to hold a gun to your head. It's another to do to someone you love. And you do that. You have a lot of power over that person. And I, I think people don't realize how much power the powers that be have and that they are very invested in destroying the United States of America. Right. You know, it's in all the white papers. They say by 2030, you know, when you look at Agenda 2130, they say by Agenda, you know, by 30, they, they want to bring down the United States of America and that by 2050, they will have a complete dissolution of all nation states. There will be like some sort of reminiscence of nation states is what they say, but we won't have nation states as we know it um, because we'll all be subjected to the socialist new world order inside the one world government. Yeah. So, it's, oh, good. Yeah. Um, there, there's one more thing. Um, sure. I, I forgot his name. It was like, but he was a, a you know, advisor for Tavistock who said that uh, Trump was like a huge issue because he wasn't coachable. And yeah, uh, I, I think you could see that in his attitude. It, it's mm -hmm. the, the upsetting thing for me. And the reason why I'm so skeptical of Trump is because he was hanging out with Hillary Clinton and he was part of the whole Epstein deal, right? He was in on yeah. all of that. 
and then he becomes president. And if you listen to him as a candidate, right, he was spot, he sounded like a Ron Paul almost. The stock market's a bubble held up by low interest rates, right? Um, the workforce participation rate is at 62%, but your unemployment rate's at about 5%, right? It's a farce. Yeah. And he was Meanwhile, absolutely right. he hired BlackRock to manage the Federal Reserve, but you know. Um. Right, right. And then he criticized Jerome Powell. He, well, once again, as candidate, he said the stock market's a bubble held up by low interest rates. And then as soon as he gets in, he says, no, we need lower interest rates. Jerome, lower interest rates. I want negative interest rates. And then he signed all the stimulus packages over the last year. And then the this is what's so frustrating about Republicans is that they're like on on a lot of these issues, but not when it matters. And the only one that was ever good at it was Ron Paul and his son's a, a little bit on his tail. And his son is great on uh, the medical stuff on Fauci, but honestly, yeah. he has all the dirt on Fauci and he does nothing with it. He He's, sat on it. Yeah, right, right. right. And, and that's that's my thing is that if that was, if Ron Paul he was in that seat, game. yeah, if Ron Paul was in that seat, I, I, it would be relentless. And that's what I think we need another of. And Thomas Massey's another great one as well. But yeah, we need like another Ron Paul, uh, somebody that's, you know, when you see 400 yes votes and that one no vote, you knew who that was. You knew every single time that was Ron Paul standing up for the American people. And that was the guy that we all needed, but we never got. Instead, we got no. fucking Mitt Romney and John McCain. <laughs> right, because we get New World Order assets. That's, that's what right. we get. Um, so with, with Trump, it's really interesting. You bring up, you know, Clinton. And so I argued with my dad when uh, Trump was running. And I kept saying right. that I didn't trust Trump because you know, he's a lifelong Democrat and you know he was best friends with the Clintons. And, you know, but of course, you know, it, within, I will say his first, you know, within the first six months, he started to implement all these things he said he would. And it was the yeah. first time I'd seen the president actually, you know, follow through on their word. And so I said, okay, I'm wrong. Um, and I still think he really did have good intentions. I think that they, I think they got to him. And I, and the, the strongest evidence that we have of that is that, you know, he is going on this uh, vaccine sales tour yeah. and he's pushing it so hard, even though he knows his base is not happy with him. They're booing and, him. <laughs> yeah, they're booing him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You know, in the beginning, I think he could have claimed ignorance that he didn't know, he didn't understand. And at this point, the the results speak for themselves. And, you know, I there are people who argue that it's ego, that, you know, he just, he's so proud of Operation Warp Speed. Um, but I, I don't even think, you, you I don't even think that's enough to justify it at this point. It's a, it, it is disappointing. It's I think, a, yeah, I think there's a little bit of both. And mm -hmm. I, I'm... To, to kind of give credence my way as well, uh, as well. Um, I'm not absolving the Joe Jorgensen campaign of the absolute disastrous campaign they run. Look, I've had Spike Cohen on this podcast. I've talked to Spike personally. I think he's a great guy, but um, they fail. Yeah. As a, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> Spike Cohen, the vice president for Joe Jorgensen. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's, it's funny that you asked too, because that, that, that should tell you something. The third biggest political party you don't even know who the people are that were running that. Yeah. And look, they were solid on every single issue. But the problem was, is that they ran such a terrible campaign. Look, if you're a libertarian candidate, 
then you already know you're not going to win, right? So why not just go balls to the fucking wall? Throw everything you can, because guess what? You're not going to win. You might as well make all the noise in the world and get as many eyes on you as possible. But just what Ron Paul did, and I wish I had seen it at the time. This is what I'm saying. Like, I I look (laughs) at myself, at my former self, and, you know, my younger self, and I'm kind of embarrassed by the things that I wasn't aware of and that kind of... It now looks so crystal clear to me. And even the term isolationist, right? That everybody threw at Ron Paul, that was literally weaponized by Tavistock. The term was weaponized to get us into war. Okay, uh, okay. World War One. Okay, yeah, so I, I saw you posting this on Twitter. Um, you know, I, what, what is Tavistock? Because I saw you talking about this. Now, um, a lot of the Middle Eastern wars have been kind of from like our support with Israel and constantly, you know, all the politicians are in bed with Israel. They all have dirt on them. Um, And and we generally fought those wars for Saudi Arabia and Israel because, um, you know, our, our, because of the petrodollar, right? Everybody has to buy gasoline in U.S. dollars, which helps. It's not really about Israel. It's really about the petrodollar. Yeah. Right. But, but Israel's still kind of tied in there because all their um, politicians have. That's more about the petrodollar, but yeah. But Israel yeah, is tied in another way, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and all you had to do is kind of look at the declarations of war from you know the middle or from the Middle East. They said, "Look, your support for Israel and your constant you know terrorizing the Middle East is why we did 9/11." Like they made no bones about it. They were very, very clear. And to bring it back to Ron Paul, he was dead on in the debate stage against Rudy Giuliani. And this is such like a a brave moment. It gives me chills just thinking about it. When he stands up and says, I sincerely believe the CIA, when they coined the term blowback, to an entire room that hated him in that moment. And he took the heat. But guess what? Nobody cares about Rudy Giuliani anymore. They remember something happened in New York, his house got seized or something like that. But everybody remembers Ron Paul as being the one guy who stood up and told the truth, no matter how unpopular it was, no matter where, for any reason. And that's how you know that was, you know, he he couldn't be bought. You knew he was a principled guy. And, and it, it, there's so much to admire about him in that kind of moment. So um, sorry, that's a long tirade. But uh, what is Tavistock? I've heard you talk or seen you talking about well, that. I, I'll give you the cliff notes. I, that's what I'm doing my uh, live stream on tonight. Um, and right. it's really going to be, yeah, and it's only going to be kind of like an introduction to Tavistock because Tavistock is a monster. I kind of uh, call it like the shadow think tank of all think tanks. Um, and it was created in, uh, you know, 1913. It was under Wellington House. And that was the British Propaganda Bureau. And they did it under the guise that, you know, they needed to compete with the German uh, Propaganda Bureau. And uh, so Tavistock eventually became the Tavistock Clinic um, in around uh, 1913. And they appointed uh, Edward Bernays was one of kind of the forerunners of Tavistock. And he's a double nephew of Sigmund Freud. Freud was involved in Tavistock as well. It is the psychological warfare uh, machine. So they come up with all of the psychological warfare tactics and they uh, do it through, you know, all this uh, research, research testing. Um, So they, you know, like shell shock therapy is a Tavistock, um, you know, project. Uh, There was literally operations research uh, project, uh, which was kind of like a brainwashing uh, study and a uh, tactic on how to implement. It officially became the Tavistock 
Institute for Human Relations in 1948, I think 47, 48. Um, and it's been, it was funded by, you know, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the, but the Tavistock Institute was uh, the, the Rockefellers who gave the grant, but the original Wellington House was under the Royal Family, uh, the Milners, um, Rockefellers and Rothschilds. Oh, but essentially it is a, uh, you know, it's a propaganda house. And, you know, Edward Bernays was the, they called him the father of propaganda, although I think the title should have rightfully gone to Willie Munzenberg. Um, I guess that's kind of the, uh, the short version, but they've instructed our, uh, like all of our think tanks, uh, most of our Ivy League institutions, uh, certainly the OSS, the CIA, uh, the MI6, um, yeah, list goes on and on. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's so funny because the Overton window um, is focused on this very, very small, you know, window of conversation, right? Where Lockheed Martin will kill hunt millions of people over the Middle East, right? In Yemen right now, last year, there's probably about half a million babies that died from cholera, right? It's the worst cholera, cholera outbreak in recorded human history. But all they have to do is change their profile picture to a rainbow, and guess what? Everybody talks about that. The people on the left celebrate that. And the people on the right will say, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This corporation's woke. How about we focus on the genocide going on across the world? Like, that's what's important. It's not about yeah. whether this corporation's woke or not. Yeah, that matters. But how about we don't genocide, you know, a, a freaking country, the poorest country in the Middle East? Yeah, but the the wokeism is a tactic for color revolution, and it is part of the eugenics movement. Mm -hmm. It is a tool to destroy the family. So right. what happens? You so you know they they asked Alex Jones like you know because he he had this theory about the soy making the frogs gay, right? Do you know about this? Yeah, and, the salt yeah. in the water turned the freaking frogs gay. Buy my dick pills and <laughs> right. They were turning the frogs gay. And he was talking about this like, you know, over a decade ago. And of yeah. course, everybody called him the crazy conspiracy theorist. And he's just off the walls. And of course, then, you know, not that long ago, uh, Japan came out with a study proving that, yes, the soy was turning the, the frogs gay. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the rebuttal that they have to him is, well, well, who cares? Like, you know, why do you care if the frogs are gay? Like, you're, you're a homophobe. And he's like, no, I, it's, not, it's not because I, you know, I'm a homophobe. It's because, like, if the frogs are all gay, they're going to go extinct. That's the thing that people don't realize. So it's not about a judgment on how people live their lives or, you know, what they want to advocate for or not advocate or, you know, whatever. Like, all of that is kind of inconsequential. The problem is when you're promoting a lifestyle that leads to the extinction of a species. So you're not, it's not just that you're saying, oh, there are this group of people who, you know, live this way, you know, whether they're born that way or not. I mean, they, they seem to flip-flop on that argument as well. You know, it's one time, one minute it's a sociological construct, next right. minute, you know, they're, I don't know how it can be both, but, um, <laughs> you know, so they say these things, but the problem is that they're, they're promoting this lifestyle. That's a huge part of the movement. They're now teaching it to children. They're teaching it to children, which is, you know, I, I mean, children should not be taught about, you know, heterosexual sex. So uh, unless right. their parents will teach us a private conversation between their parents, you know, once upon a time, there was a birth and the bees conversation that happened at home. It was not in school to four and five-year-olds. And now they're pushing, you know, perversion 
on children. And the problem with that is that that is what the bigger agenda is, is because they do want this, you know, uh, they want to do away with, and they've talked about this in the white paper, they want to do away with male, female. Why? Because, you know, it takes a male and a female to procreate. Mm -hmm. And that's the core of their, you know, their philosophy, like this whole, you were talking about the overpopulation, right? That's a total myth. It was created by the Club of Rome. They wrote The Limits to Growth in 1971, and it was completely made up. And they, they said it. They said that, you know, they had to create a common enemy in order to rally people around these horrific ideas of, you know, that were absolutely asinine, to be honest, of, yeah. you know, environmental crisis that we're up against. And what were they going to do? So, well, what, what was the common enemy? They literally said this, that the enemy of humanity is man. <laughs> yeah, the enemy of humanity is man. We are the enemy of ourselves. So, um, yeah, and it was all fabricated. And it was fabricated, fabricated to create this, uh, you know, acquiescence of, uh, you know, their agenda. Right. And it's so funny because living standards over the last 30 years have drastically improved so much to the point that people have, like, you can't even fathom what life would be like in a country like Yemen. I mean, that was like the standard, you know, let's say even a thousand years ago, all over the world, essentially. I mean, it was completely different. It wasn't like we can do this now, right? You're in, where are you at? I'm in Tennessee. I'm in okay, Tennessee. You're Nice, nice. Well, yeah, you're in Tennessee. I'm in southwestern Pennsylvania, and we're talking, we're, we're recording this, and we're going to release this for the entire world to hear, right? This past Saturday, I talked to somebody that was in um, China, right? I, I mean, wow. it, it's it's phenomenal, and we just don't even understand yeah. this. And we have an obesity problem, right? 88% um, of adults in this country alone do not meet basic metabolic um, requirements to be considered healthy. And we're concerned about overpopulation. Clearly, we have more than enough food to feed the entire freaking planet. Um, and, and, you know, clearly we have more than enough that we don't need the synthetic, you know, plant shit that they're trying to feed us. And it's not healthy. You know, it's sawdust and vegetable oil tossed up with a little bit of pea protein isolate for you to, you know, subside on. They're telling you that meat's bad for you. And, you know, oh, you shouldn't have kids to reduce your carbon footprint. And that fossil fuels are going to destroy the molecule. Right. And that fossil fuels are going to destroy the planet. But it's funny. How did we escape all this by fossil fuels, by having families, by, um, you know, consuming animal products that kind of made us into what we are? Because we didn't need as much gut to process all the junk that we could sacrifice gut to have a little bit more brain so that we, you know, become more cognitive. And then over time, we industrialized and we became better society and we became more productive, which allowed us to do other things. And that's not stopping. It's still progressing. So, but, but they want to tell you that all these things that kind of got us to where we are, they're bad. And, you know, we got to do away with those. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, they, they want to, they, they sell you a lie. I mean, it's all lies, right? right. They, they're telling you that the, the things that are healthy are the things that are really harmful. And they tell you the things that are healthy are not good for you. Uh, so I, I always say like, you know, you shouldn't blindly the believe what the media tells you, but you also shouldn't blindly reject it. However, if you blindly reject it, you might be closer to the truth. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll probably end up closer. You're likely to be on the right path. <laughs> right, so, yeah. You'll, you'll probably... But ideally, you've got some critical thinking skills and you can kind of, you know, deal with nuanced thought. Right. That, you, that would be a nice novel concept these days. <laughs> you can yeah. separate the wheat from the chaff. And yeah, sometimes the news will tell, um, you know, tell you the truth, but it's kind of like the broken clock thing, right? Um, to kind of tail on to the degeneracy and how they kind of push this stuff. 
Um, it, it's so funny with this Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith moment. Um, I feel like this has been a buildup over the last couple of years, and I want your thoughts on it as well yeah. as we kind of wrap up. Um, yeah. He, Will Smith has been embarrassed, right? And they had this supposed open relationship, right? at one point and clearly will smith wasn't okay with this and i tweeted this out earlier and it seemed like a lot of people agreed that like as a man um and i can't speak for women just because you know obviously <laughs> uh, as a man our innate instinct is that we want to know that our you know the child is ours the mate that we're with is bearing our child because you know if, we, if they weren't bearing our child then that's gene death right you, you no longer make it to the next generation so as a man, you can lie to yourself and tell yourself that, hey, it's okay if my wife fucks other people. But look, I'm telling you right now, your natural instinct, as soon as you hear something like that, you're like, no, not okay. But look, what have they done? They basically tried to tell Will Smith, oh, you know what? No, Jonna Pinkett Smith is a great person because she went around and fucked around with a 23-year-old, right? You go, girl. We have all these you know, conventions that are supposed to make people feel good about this kind of degeneracy. And it's not healthy. Um, I had Mark Claire from Lines of Liberty on, and he was telling me about an article where they said that like 50% of couples who cheat on each other actually feel better in the long run. And I laughed because it's so absurd. It's not true. No. I don't care who you are. It's, it it's ridiculous. True. Yeah. And they gaslight people to tell them stuff like this. That is so not true. <laughs> and this promiscuity culture is, is what's leading to so many relationship issues it's part of why people don't commit because you you don't know that somebody will commit to you right. so why would you trust right mm -hmm. so no there's absolutely and I, I know you said you you can only speak as a man but i will tell you as a woman like there is nothing comfortable for me about <laughs> having an open relationship or a man cheating on me there's mm -hmm. absolutely nothing that's beneficial about that i mean if there are children involved especially now, I don't have children, but if I had children to think that now you can't depend on the person who's supposed to be your life partner and the father of your children, because there's there's now somebody else in the mix and you have no idea where they're going to be, what they're going to do, where their loyalties are. How do you trust anything? It's supposed to be a partnership. And that is why they, that is why they work together. I, I, I mean, I always see this, like there's a reason there's a man and a, and a woman to raise a family. And they serve very, very different roles and they're supposed to be a unit. No, there's just, I, I, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. There's absolutely nothing beneficial about it. Right. And again, how people want to live their life, they make their choices. And, you know, if there are people, there's always outliers. There's always going to be an outlier who's like, well, no, we're super happy in this, you know, open relationship or this polyamorous. And they, I mean, who knows, maybe there are. Um, I don't know how honest they're being with themselves <laughs> either. You I, know, don't because they, they, I, I don't think so either. But again, not for me to judge. But I will say that for the majority, that there's nothing beneficial about it. Yeah. And like I said, it's a natural thing that we just say, no, that, that's, that's not what I want. And obviously, like I said, there's a reason for that. We want to know that the offspring is ours. Women want to know that, hey, my offspring is protected. I'm secure yes. with this. Right. And, and, exactly. And, you don't have to do a lot of pulling on the thread to kind of come to that conclusion. I mean, it's just <laughs> what what one of our ancestors did. Kind of basic biology. You know? It's really not. Yeah, um, Courtney, I've really freaking enjoyed this conversation. Um, I would love to have you back on sometime. And I would love I, it. Yeah. Yes, I have some ideas for. Uh, 
guest that I would like to kind of see you collude with as well. So um, we'll, we'll have to arrange at some time. Um, I got two quite well, three questions that I ask every guest at the end of the show, or at least I try to. I'm not perfect at it. Um, we'll start with the first one. What does liberty look like to you? What does liberty look like to me? Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Well, liberty looks like, uh, you know, decentralization of power and people taking personal responsibility. If I had to, I mean, you know, I could make a much more long-winded answer, but I think that's kind of the, you know, if I had to distill it down to something really simple, it's, yeah, just decentralized power and people taking personal responsibility. I can't think of a better answer than that. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, what does health look like to you? Mm, health, what does health look like to you? So I, it can look like a, a lot of things, but I think I think health is very tied to freedom because if you are, if you are healthy in mind, body. So when I, you know, my show whim is all about how movement helps people to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I really see health as being holistic. Um, I think it really is about there's, you know, obviously mental health, there's physical health, which, you know, that's like kind of the obvious one that people go to. There's your emotional. A lot of people think of that as mental health. Um, and I think there's spiritual health, you know, so it really is kind of the integration of all of those. And I think that when you are in a optimized state, which I think is what health is, you're, you're in your optimized state, um, you're very free because you're not bogged down by the ailments of any one of those categories. And any ailments in any of those categories are gonna hold you down. You're gonna be dependent in some regard. Uh, you know, when you're emotionally unhealthy, you tend to be uh, codependent, right? When you're physically unhealthy, you're dependent on the medical system or the government or other people to take care of you. Uh, you know, when you're spiritually unhealthy, you're at the whims of the, uh, you know, the, the spiritual warfare. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, when you're mentally unhealthy, you're not sharp. And so therefore you don't make good choices and yeah. Absolutely. Um, where can everybody find you and check out your content and what else do you got cool going on in the future? Ooh. All right. Well, I am the Courtney Turner podcast. I also have a show called whim. What is movement? Uh, and I have just started a, uh, we just shot the pilot. It's called the right voices, like a counter to the view. Um, so we, we will be releasing those as well. Um, you can find me pretty much on every platform for podcast. You know, the video ones I'm on YouTube, although a lot of mine, well, not a lot, but a couple of them have been scrubbed and some of them I have not put up um, due to the censorship. So, but I am on YouTube. I'm on Rockfin, which is a great free speech platform. I am on BitChute, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, and then I'm on the uh, audio platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio and uh, C-Suite. And uh, on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Courtney Turner. On Instagram, I'm at Kinetic Quartz. And uh, I'm on Truth Social also as Courtney Turner. So right. and, and don't don't forget, there is an E between the court and the A. Kine. Yeah, so like <laughs> the Kine podcast. Courtney Turner, sorry, but it's C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Courtney Turner, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Um, oh, and what, what do I have coming? Yeah, so the, those are the things yeah. I have. I have the new show, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're good, you're good. Um, yeah, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I can't wait to share this for everybody. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I think people are getting a lot out of this. There, I know I definitely learned a lot here, and um, 
you know, keep doing what you're doing because I think you're doing awesome work. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to speaking again. Thank you so much. I look forward to it too. This is awesome. awesome. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.